Morning, everyone. Great to be here on this uh, beautiful summer's morning with the gale force southerly and the sideways rain. <laughs> we were just chatting the other day about that one time that we had a sunny day on Christmas Day, a sunny hot Christmas Day. <laughs> it was a bit sad that we had to reminisce of the one time. <laughs> um, but uh, no, we had a fantastic chilled out Christmas Day, which was real nice and it was actually uh, you know, last aside, it was real nice to see the sun, nice to spend time uh, with family. So I hope that you guys have all had a fantastic time too. Great that we've all uh, consolidated and the middle tables have been left empty and the outer darkness is still full. <laughs> Sweet and nice. <laughs> um, but no, it really is a privilege to to be here and to share. Um, we've, um, if, if you've been here for the last probably f- um, three, four months we've been looking at a fantastic theme of the, the big picture, God's eternal purpose for us as us as the church. Um, and over the last couple of weeks, those who have been here, I'm sure will um, join with me in saying that like, it has been the most powerful and awesome time. Hey, um, last couple of weeks in particular, looking at what it means to be made ready as a bride prepared for her bridegroom, the sanctification process, this process of absolute transformation from who we were born into in Adam into who we were predestined always to be in Christ, this transformation from the inside out, heart, soul, mind, the complete inner realm, shake up, wake up, um, flip up to who we were always predestined to be. And for those who were here last week, looking at the the beautiful um, conjunction between uh, what it means to be made ready and what it means to actually operate in these righteous acts of the saints, they're not they weren't two separate messages. They were they were one message intertwined. The synergy between becoming and doing, the synergy between true fellowship and function that's rightly ordered, rightly aligned um, to, the, to the pattern and blueprint of heaven. So if you haven't had a chance to listen, go in and, and, jump, and jump on and listen to those, um, to those podcasts online because it will um, be pivotal to what we're about to, uh, to unpack, not just this morning, um, but in, um, in the next few months as well. So this morning, uh, we thought we'd take a slight, a slight detour from, from the big picture, even though it's, it's not a detour in substance, but maybe just in topic. The scriptures aren't necessarily in the next page of, of your book. Um, but it being Christmas and all, we thought it would be worth having a look at Jesus' birth. I know, creative, right? Um, it's a topic for the season. But there's some key aspects in, in Jesus' birth that I'd like to unpack um, because it's Really, it's just an opportunity to talk about the eternal gospel. Um, and while we might celebrate certain days and certain seasons which are right in him, ultimately it all speaks of the same thing. It's Christ. Um, it's his eternal purpose. It's Christ's life being formed in us. And so we're going to look at um, or what, what I've titled this morning is spiritual birth, uh, spiritual life, spiritual lineage. Spiritual birth, spiritual life, and spiritual lineage. And I know for all of us here, we 
would probably be familiar maybe with some of these terms, but I'd really like to unpack and draw out what it means to be this heavenly spiritual people here on earth. You know, there's prophecies in the Bible. It says that that the church is to be this royal priesthood, this holy nation, this people of God's own possession who have been called out of darkness and into his glorious light to proclaim the excellencies of him who's, who's called us. And so God has a predestined picture in his mind of who we were always called and chosen to be. Before the foundations of the world, before we were physically born, before we were even conceived in our mother's womb, God had a predestined plan for your life. It says that we've been predestined to become conformed according to the image of the Son. It doesn't say that He just predestined us to live here on earth. It says that He predestined us to be conformed to the image of the Son. It's a specific predestining. Your life was not an accident. No matter how you got here, no matter what entry point you had, whether it was good, bad, ugly, completely irrelevant because it says that God has predestined us to be conformed according to the image of His Son. And so we're going to look at what it means to be, to be spiritually born, to live this life, this spiritual life of faith, and to be part of the spiritual bloodline, the spiritual lineage, the people of God throughout all ages, throughout all generations, a people who have been called out of the earth to be holy and completely His. Now that's your calling, it's my calling, it's my uncle's calling, it's my brother's calling, it's my granddad's calling, it's, it's the calling of the human race to, that, that God has had in his mind, a people of his own possession. And so if you've got your Bibles, you can open it up to Matthew chapter 18, Matthew, oh, sorry, uh, Matthew chapter, chapter 1 verse 18 to 25 is going to be the the key scripture that we're going to look at. And if you're writing notes, you can put this down as as your first point. It says, we were all born physically, but we are called to be born of the Spirit, having the Word as our starting position. So like I said, quite fitting, quite fitting to look at birth, having just come right off the bat of celebrating the, the birth of Jesus. You know, in Matthew chapter, chapter 1, it starts off and it says this, the title of my Bible is The Genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And it goes on. Verse 12, after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah become the father of, I'm not even going to read those names. Verse seven, uh, and so there we have verse 16, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. Verse 17, so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. Now, the title, Conception and Birth of Jesus. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. 
When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to her son. And he called, uh, and, and he called his name Jesus. Interesting passage, hey? So you have the first part of Matthew chapter 1, Jesus' lineage, Jesus' bloodline, Jesus' physical birth. And the Bible goes into great lengths to describe this exact, precise genealogy of their Messiah. You know, there were some specific prophecies that Jesus needed to fulfill in the flesh. He needed to be of the tribe of Judah. He needed to be born in Bethlehem. This, this person, Jesus, was not a random coincidence entering into human history. It, his life was predestined before he was born. And so there were specific prophecies relating to the specific birth of this Messiah. You know, there was actually over 350 prophecies of Jesus and his first coming. Over 350 prophecies, and he fulfilled every single one of those prophecies of, of what the, where the Messiah would be born, what he would do, whose lineage and whose physical bloodline he would come through. And mathematicians have crunched the numbers to see what was, what was the statistical probability of a person randomly showing up and fulfilling this predestined plan that God had in, in mind for the Messiah, having not been predestined. And they couldn't crunch the numbers for all the 350-plus prophecies. It was just too much. So they took the 10 key prophecies, including the fact that he needed to be physically born uh, you know, in Bethlehem. He needed to be of the tribe of Judah. And they calculated the statistical probability of Jesus just by chance fulfilling this predestined plan. And the, and, and the probability of Jesus fulfilling that was 1 in 16,425 with 47 zeros behind it. <laughs> That's just 10 prophecies predestined of his physical arrival here on earth. What are the chances, hey? What are the chances? So that's just 10 prophecies, and yet he fulfilled over 350 prophecies. Jesus' physical arrival here on earth was nothing short of breathtaking. The chances of this man being predestined and physically coming to earth were astronomical. 
not only were the prophecies astronomical, but the whole entire scene of Jesus' arrival here on earth was incredible. The stars in heaven literally aligned. You know the saying, the stars have aligned? We say that when bedtime goes well. (laughs) But there was something more than just a good bedtime that was taking place. Literally, the stars were in position. We know of the one star, but there's no time to go into this morning the, the, um, the incredible display that spoke of the arrival of this Messiah, his physical, natural arrival here on earth. And Jesus needed to come and to arrive physically here on earth. He needed a mechanism to be able to, to, to come in here. And so God thought, well, actually, he didn't, it wasn't just a side thought. It was he, his predestined plan from the beginning of time that God himself needed to enter into this human race. And so we see in Matthew chapter 1, the first 18 verses, he physically came through the lineage of Abraham, the lineage of David, and it says the lineage even of Joseph, his physical arrival. Yet when we move into the second part of the passage, it's interesting because Joseph actually had no part in Jesus's physical birth at all. You know, it says, it says here in, in Luke 1.35, this is Jesus and Mary. And, and, and an angel shows up and starts talking with Mary and, and, and says this, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And Mary says these incredible words, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done according to your word. So Jesus came through a physical, natural bloodline here on earth, but his birth was anything but natural. It said that the Holy Spirit had to, to overshadow Mary and impregnate him, not with a DNA of, and a, of a nature that was physical from an earthly bloodline, but impregnate him by the Holy Spirit, the imperishable seed, Christ himself being formed and birthed by the Holy Spirit in her physical body. See, Jesus needed to come through the physical, but he was not of the physical bloodline. He was of the lineage of heaven, the spiritual line, the the spiritual nature, the spiritual DNA of heaven. He came through the natural. He came into the natural, but he wasn't of the natural, physical lineage of earth. He was of another kind of the spiritual bloodline of his father. See, everything that has been physically created has been created for a reason. You know, it says in Ephesians that that the man of uh, you know that that God has created all things so that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church to the rulers and principalities in the heavenly places. He's created all things not for a physical purpose but a spiritual one. And so we see in Hebrews that it says that by faith we know that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that 
Oh, here, let me let me read the scripture just so that I get the words exactly right. This is going somewhere, I promise. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are, vi- are visible. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Everything that is physical that's been created by God has been created for a specific, predestined, heavenly, eternal, spiritual plan. Everything that you can see and touch and feel, everything in physical creation, Hebrew says, came not through the natural but through the spiritual. Physical creation came from the Word of God. Did you know that? It didn't come. Our, our planet didn't come from the Big Bang. It didn't come. We, didn't, we weren't created from a puddle of mud in the, in the back country of, of Africa or wherever it was. Everything is intentional, specific, and purposeful for, for God's heavenly and eternal plan. Creation was conceived by the Word of God. We see here in Matthew chapter 1 that Jesus was conceived by the Word of God. So what about us? What was our starting point? How were we conceived Were we conceived by the same conception that Jesus was conceived on? What was our starting point? Well, actually, the Bible said that we have a very different starting point to him, but actually we've been called to have the same one. It says that in Genesis that when we were born, we were physically born into this bloodline, this lineage of Adam, and yet predestined to become born again of a completely different lineage and a completely different line. Our birth was physical, born into this bloodline that has been consumed and infected by something called sin, which is ultimately selfishness. And yet God is looking to call us out from that bloodline to be part of the spiritual line that he had from us from the beginning. He wanted to have his word create our world. Our beginning point was not his beginning point, but it can be. When we receive the imperishable seed, the word of God within us, he wants to take uh, us from our inner realm being darkened to being full of light. It says that darkness was across the face of the deep, and God spoke, and he said, let there be light. The word of God that created light, it says, it's that same word that's to shone and to shine in our hearts, giving us the revelation of, of being taken out of darkness and into light. Our starting point was not his starting point. And so that's why Jesus and Nicodemus have this incredible dialogue. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to uh, John chapter 3.
Now there was a man of the ruler of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom. Nicodemus says to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's room and be born, can he? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of, the, of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, are you a teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you of earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. And so we have here Jesus and Nicodemus with this, fi- this famous dialogue. Jesus, the man of heaven, speaking to Nicodemus, the man of earth. And he says to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you must be born again. He says, you've been born of a physical lineage, of a physical bloodline, but you need a new kind of blood to enter your body. You need to be born again of this imperishable seed. He says, you're, you're a teacher in Israel. You're, you are a, you're a pastor. You're a church leader, and you don't understand what this inner realm birth is all about. He's saying, what, you've, you've been part of, of a family of, um, of of Jewish believers for and a teacher in Israel your whole life, and you don't know what it means to be born again, let me tell you that today is the day that you're going to hear a word from heaven that will take you out of what is physical, natural, normal, and into what is truly birthed by my Spirit from heaven, becoming of this born-again life, this new lineage of the Spirit. So Jesus says to him, truly, truly, you must be born again. You know, for Nicodemus, a man who was a teacher in Israel, what a dialogue to be part of. What is he saying? He's saying, Nicodemus, you can be part, you can, you can be part of the lineage of Abraham, the lineage of Israel, but your physical lineage has nothing to do with what it means to be part of this spiritual lineage. He's saying you can be part of a church family, a church community. You can grow up in what you might define as a Christian family. But just because you were brought up Christian doesn't mean that you have Christian life, the spiritual heavenly life operating inside of you. He says it's not a Jew who is a Jew outwardly that's a Jew, but he who's the true Jew is a, tr- is a Jew that is a Jew inwardly. Because circumcision was never of the flesh, but of the heart. 
And so Jesus shares this interesting thing with Nicodemus. He says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. And so he's referencing this scene in Numbers. We have the Israelites who are grumbling and complaining against Moses for not having enough food as he leads them out of Egypt and into the promised land. He describes a scene which is not too dissimilar to snakes on a plane. I don't know if anyone has seen that. Makes a guest appearance in the Bible. This scene is, is ruthless. Where the, where the Israelites grumbling lands them with having poisonous snakes turn up in their midst. And they literally bite the Israelites, and many of them start dying. Now, that is a pretty severe consequence for grumbling and complaining, wouldn't you say? Imagine, that, imagine if that's what happened when your kids grumbled. <laughs> wouldn't last long. And yet there's this horrific scene where the Israelites, because of the attitude that they have towards Moses and towards God, are confronted with these snakes that are coming and biting and devouring. It's in, I think, Numbers 21, if you're looking for it. And the, the snake bite, when, when, it, when it bites someone, it's not the bite of the snake that kills them, it's, it's the venom. Because the venom gets into the bloodstream and attacks the heart. And so we have this scene where the Israelites are having this venom pulsate through their natural, physical bloodline, coming and devouring them on the inside. And, and Jesus likens this in this passage in his dialogue with Nicodemus, and he says, Nicodemus, when you have this when you are infected with your, the the natural physical bloodline having come from adam it's like you have this pulsating venom through your bloodstream that is literally eating you up on the inside and he says and he says this just like moses had to raise up the staff with the golden or the bronze serpent on it if you Look up, if you take your eyes off yourself and you receive this new born-again life, it will be like it will it will it will be like a new stream of blood, a blood transfusion entering into your innermost being, cleansing you from the inside out, where you go from being infected with the substance and the reality of Adam that you were born into physically, receiving a new source of of blood, a new bloodline, a new source of life, a blood transfusion of my life inside of you that will perform a work not just outside you, but within you. And he's saying, so he's saying, this is what it means to be born again. New blood pulsating through your veins, being born again of the Spirit of God, entering into receiving this substance from heaven. And so when Jesus is talking about birth, Jesus' birth was not just a physical birth here on earth. It was, it was, he was born of the Spirit. And he's saying that, guys, you may have been born physically, 
but you also need to be born again of this new spiritual lineage, the lineage of heaven. So I've got here spiritual birth, spiritual life, spiritual lineage. Point number two, we're each given a physical life, but we are called called to live a spiritual life of faith here on the earth. Now, life is absolutely precious and a gift. We've all been given the gift of life, the gift of time, the opportunity to know him while, while we still breathe. But our physical life, the Bible tells us, is like a vapor that's here today and gone tomorrow. But yet this vapor has the potential in it to prepare us for what God's eternal purpose is, his eternal eternal calling that he has for us as a church. And so I've just got one small example for for us um, to, to, to look at this morning. And so... Here's something I prepared earlier. I've got this precious piece of cardboard paper. I don't know if you can if the video can stretch this far. Can everyone see? Dot special. (laughs) Now, we are each given a physical life, but we are called to live a spiritual life of faith. Now, each one of us has been given the gift of physical life. We might be here for 60, 70, 80, 90 years, give or take a little bit. And then that life that we've been given is going to be up into eternity. Now, the physical life that we've been given, we've been given for a specific predestined, predetermined purpose to participate in his eternal calling that he has for us while we still breathe and into eternity. Now, the most devastating thing here on earth is living for your physical, natural life when you've been called for a spiritual, heavenly, and eternal one. You see, everything that you can see, touch, and feel is only temporary. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. And then really it's actually what what we see in in Peter is that the world is going to be consumed by fire and it's all going to be burnt up. And so this dot here represents your physical life. It's pretty little, eh? Your physical life, probably about 10 centimeters in diameter compared to the predestined, predetermined eternal life that God has for you as his people. This little life is so valuable There's so many natural physical things that it contains. It contains your physical marriage. It contains your children. It contains your career. It it contains your house. It has your car. 
And yet all of these things we hear in, in the Gospels are temporary and passing. So the question I have for you is, what life are you living in from and for? Are you living for the natural physical life that's here today and gone tomorrow? Or are you living for the predestined, predetermined plan of God that's going to last forever? You know, it says in Colossians, this is Paul speaking, he says that I've, that it says that I've been crucified with Christ that I no longer live. That the life that I do live, I live by faith in the Son of God who died for me, gave up his life for me. It talks about his life being now hidden in Christ with God. Our natural physical life is to be hidden in the bigness of his predetermined plan that he has for us as his people. And so the question is, is our short life being hidden in the life that he has for us? You know, it says that in... in, uh, I lost my place here. Now, the question I feel like that keeps coming up over the last number of weeks is, how does what we are hearing fit in with my life? I've been been hearing about being prepared as a bride made ready for a bridegroom. I've been hearing about these, these righteous acts of the saints. How does what I'm hearing fit in to my life? And the answer is it actually doesn't fit in with your life at all. (laughs) Not one little bit. There's nothing about God's predetermined plan that fits in with your life. Actually, he wants your life to be hidden in his. He wants you to be consumed in his life, his predetermined plan for you, not your short circle of a life predetermining what you think the plan is for all eternity. And so, your life does not fit in with his life. But you are to fit into the palm of his hand and the predetermined calling and purpose that he has for you as his church. You see, contained in this small little circle are things like like your marriage your earthly physical marriage. And yet the scriptures prophesy and say that you were called for a heavenly and eternal marriage. You're called for this marriage that's going to last forever. It says that there's no marriage after the resurrection because this has served its purpose as acting as a prophetic picture for what you're always called to. You know, and here contains things like your family and your children. But actually, in here, this contains God's family, His children, the spiritual family of God that we were pre-prepared, predestined to live for. In this little circle is every natural, normal thing, which has all been given by God for a specific purpose. It's to point to 
ultimately what our calling was always supposed to be in him. When you're of the lineage of the Spirit, you see your natural physical life as facilitating an opportunity for His eternal life to be formed in you. Physical family, physical marriage, and every physical thing are seen as a prophetic picture of your heavenly marriage that will ultimately last forever. We see this in the life of Moses in, in Hebrews 11, 24 to 27. It says this, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left, left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. You see, Moses had a pretty incredible physical life. He was rescued from certain death by Pharaoh's daughter and taken and raised in the palace. And it says in all the learning and the wisdom of Egypt, he had incredible power, status, privilege, but somewhere along the line, he realized that his natural life was actually not worth anything in comparison to the eternal life that God had for him. And it says that he chose to endure ill treatment with the people of God to enjoy, than, than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Here's a man who had been raised by Pharaoh's daughter, incredible position of privilege physically and yet saw that that enduring ill treatment with the people of God was of greater riches than any physical thing that he could be a part of because he was looking to the reward by faith he left, left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. Now, I said before, we are each given physical life, but we are called to live the spiritual life of faith. Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He saw that his identity, who he was, and, re and rejected what was placed on him physically and naturally for the sake of who he was predestined to be in, in God. He wasn't a victim. He chose ill treatment. He chose rough treatment and being part of the spiritual household of God and counted that as greater riches than living in pleasure um, and, and being part of this natural family of wealth and privilege. And we too are to live in the same way, valuing the things that are heavenly eternal more than any natural earthly thing. I put here point number three. 
We each have a physical bloodline, but are called to be of the lineage of the spirit of faith, living for the priorities and the values of the spirit. There's immense value in our physical lineage, our being raised by our physical parents, being nurtured, being cared for, being provided for. Our parents literally sustain our physical lives. My month-old daughter cannot go longer than three hours without being physically sustained by her mother. And even into even in growing up in maturity, our parents play an essential, important role in our physical lives. But our physical families were always supposed to be a means to a much greater end. Our physical families have been given as a vehicle to get us into life and to help sustain our natural lives, ultimately for a purpose, which is that we would discover what our true spiritual lineage is, who we were always called to be. Now, living from the spiritual lineage of faith can come with dynamic tension when you are confronted with situations where you have to navigate dynamics of physical family and, and physical bloodline. And I know that this has certainly been the case for me and, 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 and in my life, where I've had the most incredible natural parents who have raised me and have had the best well-meaning intentions for my future like I would for my physical son. I'm sure some of you would have the same. My dad, who had been saving for me to go to university since before I was born. My granddad, who always had in his mind that I should be a doctor. My auntie, who always had in her mind that I should be a high school principal. My dad, who had in his mind that I should always be an accountant. All of these natural physical people who invested time and time and time again into my physical life. And, you know, this is not a bad thing. And I hope, and it's my intention to save for my son's university study. And I hope that he is financially sustainable and all of those good things, you know. So what I'm saying is that physical family is so vitally important and plays a key role in our lives. And yet then they were never supposed to play the ultimate role. It says that we have one father who's God in heaven. We've got one teacher. And it's not your university professor. It's not even your teacher here at the rock. And so for me growing up, I had to navigate those dynamics of what was good versus what was divine. Now, we, you have to make sure that what, what people's perspective of who you are and how you should live aligns to what his perspective is and what his eternal calling is. Otherwise, you may just forfeit what is good for what's divine. You may just sell yourself short living for the dot than living for the predetermined calling and purpose that he has for you. And so I know for me this has been such a pivotal thing where I feel like the Holy Spirit for a time had asked me to stop going to university and to have 
to have those conversations with my physical parents who had invested time and resource and money in me becoming who they saw me to be. Now, this has nothing to do with my parents, but everything to do with what it was that God was doing inside of me. And so to be able to have those conversations were actually a matter of saying, guys, I so value and appreciate you, but actually I've been set apart for something that's more than just university. I've been called with a, with a calling that is ultimately heavenly and eternal. My granddad on his deathbed, some of the last breaths that he had were encouraging me to go back to university. And so navigating these dynamics of physical and spiritual, this is what it's looked like for me in in my journey, but for everyone it will look like something different. The issue here is never the other person. The issue is always you. And are you prepared to surrender to what God's calling is for you, his eternal purpose, rather than your own physical, natural life? And so I was confronted with these key decision points. And I, you know, it says about Moses, you know, it said that he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. When you are of his lineage, it's actually not a sacrifice to live for the things that are heavenly and eternal. They pulsate through you like blood through your veins. That the decision really is not a decision at all. It's just about a life lived. That you're confronted with situations that don't get you. It's, it's not the situation that pushes you over the edge. You are actually just living from this new lineage. So when the situation comes up, it only acts as a prophetic picture of who he is inside of you and the new life that you have formed inside of you that then is expressed in that particular moment. You know, with Abraham and Isaac, you know, it can be so easy to think, man, Abraham, this great man of faith, when confronted with a situation, was he prepared to give up his only physical son? Looking from the outside, you'd see, man, what a, what a guy who in that moment is prepared to sacrifice everything. But actually it says that Abraham was a man of faith, that Abraham saw from the beginning that God could raise his son from the dead. See, he had faith, the ability to see the unseen, the ability to see God's predetermined plan that God had said that he would raise him from the dead even if he died. So the sacrifice was actually no sacrifice at all because he had seen in advance God's purpose for his son. He knew that his son had to live. And so he, Abraham, took the dagger and went to make the sacrifice, which actually was no sacrifice at all. It was just actually living out a life, an expression of faith, obedience to what it is that he had seen in the unseen. And his life was a prophetic picture of what it meant to live in faith. Abraham 
was not sacrificing in that moment. He had already, his life was already lived in response. His life had already been laid down and he could already see by faith God's predestined plan so that he could just live. Well, it says, it says that he knew that his son would be raised from the dead. So the question to me is, what then is the issue? See, there's a big issue if you don't have prophetic sight of what God's predestined plan is for your life. There's a real issue when you're confronted with natural, physical life things. There's a real issue because your whole life will be about sacrificing for someone that you don't know for a wishy-washy plan that you don't see and you don't really believe as opposed to having a deep-rooted conviction of who you were always called to be, what you were always called to live for, that the sacrifice of the dot pales in absolute comparison to what you gain and what it is that he had given. So personally, I don't think that there was an issue for Abraham giving up his son, just like there wasn't an issue for me giving up my university, because I had already received the value in me of what was eternal before I even before I had to give up what was natural and earthly. And you know, Greg said a few weeks ago, he said, I received Christ and it crucified my flesh. When he is your starting point, when you are born of the incorruptible seed, the incorruptible word, when you've received the value of him, you know, it talks about um, this this merchant seeking fine pearls, and upon finding this one pearl of precious value, the merchant goes and sells everything he can for the sake of this one precious pearl. That is the dynamic of the kingdom. You've received, you've seen this thing of such precious value. You've received Christ. The value of being his, the value of the eternal marriage so outweighs your natural life now that you live in response to what you've seen, what you know. Your life no longer is a constant flow of sacrifice and heartache and frustration, constantly trying to live for him, but without the power and the life to be able to empower you to do it, without the motivation, without the drive, without his life, his substance, his blood flow pulsating through your veins. So we each have a physical bloodline, but are called to be of the lineage of the spirit of faith, living for the priorities and the values of the spirit. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may, might proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. You see, there's only two kinds of people on the earth, people that are of the flesh and those who are of the lineage of heaven. And every natural divide, every natural race really has no bearing 
on being part of this people of faith. He's calling us out from all nation, tribes, and tongues to be a people of his own possession. A people who live for the things that are unseen. A people who live for the things that are heavenly and eternal. You know, one of the most precious and beautiful prophecies is right back at at the beginning of Genesis where he says that a man will leave his mother and father and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And it's a prophetic picture for us of leaving what is natural, earthly and physical, leaving those who have brought us up and invested into us physically to be joined It says in a physical marriage, but ultimately in a spiritual marriage to Christ. Being his bride, being prepared as a bride ready for the bridegroom. That we would leave everything natural, physical and earthly in our heart. And live as the people we were always called to be. So physical, uh, sorry, so spiritual birth spiritual life, and living from the spiritual lineage, the spiritual bloodline of faith is is who we are called to be. So I might just leave it there um, because we've got some table discussion questions. Um, But does anyone have a a question before we we break up into groups? Oh, yes. So Greg has just said, can I share about what the rest of that journey looked like? So uh, of, of going back to university. So I shared of what it had looked like for me where the Holy Spirit had confronted me about what I was, you know, what I was living for and um, letting go of my university study was just a part of that journey for me. But um, that was not the whole story because while God was working in me, and, and setting me apart for him to live and have my heart realigned and rearranged for the priorities of him and his kingdom. As that process was taking place and going on, it wasn't like my university studies um, just got kicked to the curb and, and that was it. it. It was a process that I went through for a time that when the time came to actually in, go back in and, and invest in my studies, I actually became an more productive. I enjoyed the study more. I did well. I actually excelled in those studies, and the study enabled me to even get into a good career and a good job. And so, it, like, so what I'm sharing about was not anything to do with university, but everything to do with what he was doing inside of me. That for a time he was saying, lay it down. And actually, I received it back far better than what I had in the beginning. So, Hopefully that helps to, to clarify. Any other any other questions?
How does this fit in with the calling to seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness? So to me, I think that what you're saying, seek first the kingdom and its righteousness, essentially is just giving additional words, I'd say, to what it is that I've been describing this morning, to seek first him, to seek first um, who he is and what he's called us to above any natural, normal, earthly thing, I think, to me, is to seek first his kingdom and the righteousness, that the reality of being made right in him, the substance, the character of Christ being formed in us, preparing us for this heavenly calling. So, cool.